This session is part of a webinar series which aims to assist researchers, librarians and institutions in the adoption of digital tools and persistent identifiers for a significant increase of research discoverability globally and to increase efficiency in scholarly workflows. Archive is a community-led digital archive for African research communication. By enhancing the visibility of African research, we enable discoverability and collaboration opportunities for African scientists on the continent as well as globally. So today we welcome four speakers. The first speaker is going to be Lumbi Tembo, who is responsible for improving equity participation in ORCID in currently underrepresented areas, especially the Global South. She's also responsible for green membership and adoption in currently underrepresented regions, whilst ensuring member satisfaction and value. She has a BA in economics and an MA in development studies. And then our second speaker is going to be Dr. Denina Musangi who is the University Librarian and Director at AMREF International University. She also serves as the Treasurer, the Governing Board of Kenya Libraries and Information Services Consortium. She has been instrumental in the development and implementation of institutional repositories and open access policies in various universities in Kenya. And then our third speaker is going to be Cecil Kulibali who is coordinating the technical activities of the Digital Library for the Higher Education and Scientific Research in Cote d'Ivoire as the Deputy Director in charge of the Scientific Commissions at the Virtual University of Cote d'Ivoire. And then last but not the least, our final speaker is going to be Owen Ioha, who is the CEO of the Echo Conduct Research and Education Initiative. He oversees infrastructure development, capacity building, and advocacy with the goal of developing all aspects of research and education network and its community in Nigeria. Thank you all for coming. And now over to you, Lombe. Thank you so much for the introduction, Ibuka. Um, so I'm just going to go right ahead and um, start presenting. So. Um, I'd like to talk about the global participation program as a whole, but I will start by talking about ORCID and what exactly it is. So ORCID is an independent, not-for-profit, open to participation by all. Uh, the registry was launched in 2012 and um, it's guided by our values and founding principles. If you want to read a bit more about that, uh, the slides will be shared, so that will be open to you. Um, also, it's committed to making fair open data available via our public API and also annual the annual public data file. So it ensures transparency by allowing any member to nominate a candidate for the board, and more information on this is available on the website. So ORCID provides three main services, and the first one, as Joe mentioned earlier, is the ORCID ID, which is a unique persistent identifier which is free of charge to individual researchers. 
And then the second one is the ORCID record. And this one is a digital CV or a profile, which is connected to the ORCID ID. And this can include um, employment, education, funding, peer review, and other aspects that I will mention a bit later. And then thirdly, the ORCID APIs, and this is a set of application programming interfaces, as well as the services and support of communities of practice, which are then enabling interoperability between an ORCID record and other member organizations. So with an ORCID ID, researchers are uniquely identified and they have their research information accessible. I will share a few slides that will show this. So the ability to disambiguate researchers is critical for trustworthy scholarly record. So we ask, what's in a name? So um, I think I'm a good example for this. Uh, you know how many people have the same or similar name and names may change through marriage or different, different circumstances. And regardless of what changes happen to your name, your ORCID ID remains the same. So individuals and organizations can use alphabets, abbreviations, or naming conventions. As you can see, they're different. Um, they're, it, these are different languages, and these are different variations of a name. So people use different versions of their names during their career. And an interesting example is this paper. This is a screenshot from an actual paper. And the name Gagandeep Singh, they're two different people by the same name, but because of having ORCID um, IDs, it's uh, possible to uh, disambiguate and know which researcher is responsible for which, uh, which paper. So ORCID also solves uh, name variation, but the ID never changes. So um, uh, there's a part of the ORCID ID or the ORCID record, sorry, that shows um, different, um, um, you know, name variation. So this person can be uh, Karim Ben Romdan, but then uh, some articles would show them as KB Romdan or Karim B Romdan or, you know, different variations of the same person's name. But all of these uh, would still be recorded under the uh, ORCID ID. It is also easier to connect researchers, their affiliations and outputs throughout their career. And, and this is why it's so important for um, for researchers to use identifiers for these affiliations and their outputs. So researchers can easily register for an ORCID ID. Um, and so this would enable you to distinguish yourself and also add your biography to your ORCID record. So, you know, even a brief bio can quickly distinguish you from other researchers who have the same name or the similar name. And I know, especially in Africa, my, my maiden name is Tembo, but there's so many Tembos. So this is, um, you know, you can see based on, um, you know, especially in Africa, I think that it's especially relevant for us. Um, so you start by signing in, you go to orchid.org slash sign in, and you set up to edit, we use the little pencil icon to edit the biography section. Then you go ahead and add your bio and don't forget to save the changes. Um, so also you, you can't lose access to your records because you can easily add an additional email to your ORCID record. Um, some people uh, use the email addresses for their current work, but it's also important to add your personal email in the event that you lose access to one of those email addresses for your um, whichever institution you're linked with at the time. Um, so to never get locked out, you just you, it's a very easy process. You just sign in um, and then you edit your email preferences 
um, you add your permanent email. So he, in, in this box, you'd be able to type your permanent email in the add another email field and click add. And then a verification email would be sent to that address. That would also allow you to set privacy. Um, so yeah, so you can be sure that only certain email addresses would have access to the ORCID record. So the ORCID record, going to click that. The ORCID record contains information about the researcher's research life. And I'm glad that Joe was able to send a screenshot of, um, of her ORCID profile. And this can contain affiliations, professional activities, funding information, research outputs, research resources, peer reviews, website URLs, and other IDs. And you might remember that um, on Joe's um, ORCID record, there was her Scopus ID was there. But for this example, there's uh, the researcher ID, uh, profile system identifier. These are just examples. And, you know, um, additional email addresses there. Um, yeah, so this is basically what it would look like. And um, it's important to keep the magic of interconnected systems and interoperability. And researchers should always be in the center. And this is a, a big aspect of what ORCID does. And um, so as you can see, publishers would be able to add research outputs and peer reviews. Uh, discovery systems would be able to add other IDs, outputs, research activities, or even build a search and link wizard, which I'll talk about a bit more later. Funders can add funding entries and research institutions can add research activities and resources as well as um, uh, other affiliations. So this shows all the different ways that systems can be connected. Um, ORCID, ORCID member organizations add validated information. So basically when, when an ORCID member updates an ORCID record, the source of that update is captured for use. So for instance, if, um, if um, yeah, so yeah, so when this happens, um, they provide trust markers that can be used to help in decision-making. So it shows where the information is coming from. So as you can see here, the source would be the ORCID integration at the University of Oxford because they're a member of, of ORCID. Also here, you can see Nature Publishing Group was the, the source of, um, this entry in someone's ORCID record. So research organizations can add affiliations and publishers can add outputs and reviews and also funders can add funding. Uh, so as I was, uh, I mentioned earlier about the search and link wizard, uh, research researchers can use this service to claim their research outputs. And um, so what happens is that ORCID member organizations have built ORCID integrations that can help researchers to discover and connect their activities from within their ORCID records. So a list of wizards is displayed upon login. So if you are um, inside your ORCID record, um, you'd be able to click add and this would show up, search and link here. And um, at the moment, we have um, four DOI registration agencies that are using the search and link and this uh, that are supporting this uh, this feature. And those are Arity, Crossref, DataSite, and the Japan Link Center. And we're hoping for more, especially from Africa moving forward. So a list of wizards is displayed upon login in the relevant section. So this particular sec, sorry about that. This particular section is works. And um, yeah, so this um, 
the relevant, uh, the list of wizards would be displayed there. So uh, at the moment we have funding works and hopefully in the future we'll have uh, peer reviews as well. Um, so when this happens, researchers would be prompted to grant access to their ORCID record and then taken to the member's website to select the works to be added. So this provides an extra layer of trust because not anyone would be able to just um, add works to your ORCID record. So you'd have to grant them the permission. Um, yeah, so it, it displays the, the relevant organization as the source of the item. So in this case, for um, my colleague Estelle, um, it shows that she used the search and link wizard via ART, and that's how that works. And this is the, the pop-up that would show. Um, uh, yeah, and it would show all the information there, and you'd be able to either authorize access or deny access. It's, it's all up to you. Um, also, authenticating would allow researchers to keep control of their data. Um, and so here you have to create or connect your ORCID ID just to make sure that the correct um, ORCID ID is being connected to, to the information. So users need to sign in and this guarantees that their correct ORCID ID is connected to the work. Uh, it also shows who is asking. So in this case, it would be the University of Milan and also which permissions are being given to the, to the organization to whoever is requesting permission. And also it's very important to note that permissions can be revoked at any time on the record setting. And this is in the control of the individual researcher. Uh, yeah, so that's all about ORCID. And now I'd like to talk a bit about the Global Participation Program, the GPP. Um, so the Global Participation Program is an initiative that was launched in response to the needs of the community in partnership with our generous partners. And what happens is that um, we continue to see growing adoption around the world. Um, we have users, individual, we have individual users in 250 countries around the world, uh, which is every country on the planet, apart from a few that are mentioned here. Um, also, we have over 9 million yearly active researchers and uh, about 1,339 organizational members. Uh, and over 5,000 active integrated member systems. And this map here shows the member organizations in 57 countries. Uh, so the green, the green shaded areas represent the ORCID consortia and the blue shows um, ORCID members. But these, uh, the gray areas, especially for Africa, are very concerning because this shows that there are no uh, institutional members and there are no consortia in these uh, in these in the gray areas here. Um, so ORCID's global participation program is a two-pronged approach to increase the global participation, especially in the global south. And um, so the first part of that is the membership equity program, and the second part being the global participation fund. So a bit more about these two specific programs. So the first one is the membership equity program. And this is um, this program allows um, for countries to, to create consortia, um, but at discounted um, fees. So there's a discounted membership fee structure for consortium members if they're trying to create this. And if the members are coming from low income countries, they would have a discount of 80%. While if they're coming from lower middle income countries, they would have a discount of 50%. So the membership equity program can only have countries coming, uh, members from uh, countries who are either coming from low income countries or lower middle income countries. 
also there's a lower threshold of three members for the initial year as opposed to five uh, members which is the the normal uh, number of consortia consortia members uh, and also this this part of the GPP is fully funded by ORCID. Uh, the second part of it is the Global Participation Fund. And under this, there are two um, specific programs. So the first one is um, on the community development and outreach, which is to fund local partners to build opportunities of practice in the global south. And all the, the other speakers on the call are are uh, under this under the community development and outreach. We also have um, technical integration grants, and these ones are meant to fund development of systems that are likely to drive participation in the, in the global south. We currently have only one um, one grantee under the technical integration grants. Uh, we're hoping for more, and I'll talk a bit more about this. So the GPF is made possible by the generosity of ORCID's founding lenders, but the admin costs are funded by ORCID. So um, also just to clarify that under the low-income countries and the lower middle-income countries, these classifications are under the, uh, they're as defined by the World Bank income classifications, and these are updated every year. So I could share a link to the to this year's um, classifications. I will share in the, in the chat afterwards. So the structure of the program supports a diversity of grantees to spread the risk and increase the chance of positive outcomes. So we do have two grant cycles per year, we're currently having the second uh, the, the second cycle of the year, um, and we have about five grants per cycle, and the um, the funding award per grant is between five and twenty thousand um, US dollars. In terms of other grantee benefits, there is dedicated Orchid staff contact, uh, invitation to participate in the Orchid grantee forum and community. Uh, invitations to grant community events, invitation to ORCID virtual and in-person events, as well as inclusion in ORCID's ongoing communications program. Um, and then in terms of the focus and the goals of, of the fund, these need to align with ORCID's strategic objective to increase global participation. And um, I spoke a bit about the focus communities, but it's only for um, countries that are sorry about that it's only for organizations that are engaged in research and scholarship in low and lower middle income countries particularly in the global south so this is unfortunately not open to individuals only um uh, only organizations um and then in terms of the goals this is the the fund is meant to remedy orchid participation gaps in the focus community areas by providing grants that would be able to develop orchid communities of practice uh, to build understanding and use of ORCID in local context, and also to create and enhance technical integrations that would support these communities. Um, so the, the third cycle is currently running, and there's a webinar tomorrow to talk about how to apply and um, any other details that you might need in addition to what I have given, but also more details and registration are on this link, and this will be shared in the slides. Um, yes, that's all from me. I will stop sharing my screen now and I will uh, wait for the other questions at the end. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much, Lombe. That was highly um, informative and a lot of features that ORCID provides. Um, Penina, do you want to go next? 
Yes, Joe, I can. Let me share my screen. The floor is yours. Wait, I need to... Um... Uh, uh, can you confirm that you can see my screen? Yes, I can see. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, I was introduced by Buka. Thank you so much for that good uh, bio. And I want to take members within uh, five to 10 minutes on a presentation about what Kenya uh, we are doing. Uh, the project is, uh, is um, uh, uh, Tembo has explained, uh, we are one of the beneficiaries of this, uh, the Global Participation Fund COVID project. And that's what I want to share about. So I'll just talk about the project background, the project activities and the lessons we have learned so far and what uh, we, yeah, what we can share with the others. So about the project background, uh, I can say that CLISC, I'm presenting on behalf of CLISC, Kenya Libraries and Information Services Consortium. I'm the treasurer in the governing board and the first round of, uh, or the first cycle of the Global Participation Fund CLISC was selected to receive that award from uh, ORCID. And um, our project title was actually Empowering Librarians as uh, ORCID Trainer of Trainers. The duration of the project is actually one year. It's coming to an end in December. And CLISC is the implementing organization, as you have heard from Tempo, that the fund, it has to be implemented not by individuals, but by organizations. So in Kenya, it's CLIS, which is the implementing that project. What activities have we undertaken or the project had included? One was uh, to train librarians to become uh, ORCID trainers of trainers. That was done. Happy to report that after the training, the librarians have formed a community of practice where they share experiences and build on one another on ORCID adoption among their respective institutions. I'm happy to note the high number of the librarians from Kenya who have joined this webinar, and that I can say it's courtesy of this community of practice which was formed. So we are able to share experiences, we are able to share opportunities through that uh, COP. We also developed training materials, what we are calling the do-it-yourself tutorial, and uh, we, we are sharing these uh, materials for future reference for self-learning and facilitated trainings. So these materials, uh, we, are, we, we, we noted that uh, not, of course, not all member, uh, members of CLIS participated. So we wanted from the, these are project, we developed the tutorials and we share with the, the member institutions because CLIS has uh, over 140 members. So these materials are accessible to all members so they can train their, themselves and they can also use them for training because we, as we have indicated, the librarians became trainers of trainers. After that, we had a training for directors of research from selected universities, and they were basically being trained on the best practices on ORCID adoption, which were shared. Something which came out is that among the universities which participated, 
uh, different universities at different levels in terms of ORCID adoption. Some are advanced, even they are members of the uh, organization, members of ORCID, and they were really free. Uh, they shared with the, the new members about how to go about it. It was interesting that some directors of research did not have ORCID, they were registered. The, uh, the expressions in terms of when one could get a CV using ORCID was really good. Then demonstrations were done on how accounts can be updated. We noted that some institutions had insisted that you need to have an ORCID account. So members would register for it and that is the stop. So the accounts are not updated. So we were able to demonstrate how accounts updates are done. So the reason why we are trained these directors of research was to provide support and provide advocacy to the librarians in their various institutions so that they can, we can ensure multiple stakeholder participation as we drive the agenda for ORCID adoption. Our last activity, which we are yet to do, we are planned for November 2023, later this year, is to upgrade a number of institutional repositories to DSpace version 7, because that is the version which will allow us integrate those institutional repositories with ORCID API. And this is one of the things you have heard that Tembo talk about how can you upscale some of the activities going on? Uh, when Ebuka was reading my, my bio, he talked about having established uh, institutional repositories in various institutions. So I worked on that in that those institutional repositories, we can upgrade them to DSpace uh, version 7, so that now we are able to integrate them with the ORCID API. And that is, we are planned that for later this uh, next month. So what are the expected outcomes of the project in Kenya? As I said, we are the formation of an ORCID community of practice, and this community of practice is going out to advocate for ORCID adoption in Kenya, where the other one is organized ORCID trainings in, in, in CLISC member institutions. This has happened and it continues to happen. Actually, it also started from our annual, our pre-annual general meeting when we had so many members participating and we are able to tell our members about ORCID. We, another, uh, another outcome is the multi-stakeholder approach where we want the librarians to work together with the directors of research to push the agenda of uh, ORCID adoption and then upgrading of institutional repositories to version seven, as I've explained. What are the lessons learned, which is very interesting? One, as I've said, is that we found that different institutions are at different levels and we were happy about the, the way institutions were free to share with their others to build each other. We also realized that this was coming from the participants that there exist various uh, personal identifiers online. So we were being asked, what is so unique about ORCID? Interesting, we were able to demonstrate even the others, but one thing, Key, key, key thing which was coming out about ORCID is the how it is central. That when like, for instance, you register for Scopus ID, you don't need to create an account. Provided you have an ORCID ID, you can, you can use it and acquire the, the, the Scopus ID. Same case to researcher ID, you, you log in using the, 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 your ORCID ID. So meaning, the ORCID ID is very central that it can open doors for you in other identifiers platforms. That one we were able to, to know. 
Then the formation of the ORCID, uh, the community of practice, which was very, uh, which was not there, but now after the formation, we are seeing how they are working. The directors of research are, are really sharing a lot about what is happening in their various institutions and how to keep uh, the ORCID uh, account up to date. Because like faculty researchers are very maybe busy, I we were very happy to note about the easier way of how to update how you can uh, update your account from Google Scholar, your ORCID account from Google Scholar by just um, downloading your big text. You have seen uh, even uh, table has shown us how to search and uh, link the, the wizards. So with that, it was very easy to learn how you can keep your, your ORCID ID uh, account up to date, which was actually a challenge with most of the participants. Uh, interesting in Kenya, it is a requirement that any postgraduate student has to have an ORCID ID as required by our National Council of Science and Technology. Now, it was realized that out of these, these postgraduate students, librarians do not play any role in terms of helping these students to acquire those IDs. And therefore, we agreed that going forward, we are going to, to support our postgraduate students in terms of ORCID registration. Something also interesting was uh, supporting our authors in identifying the articles using ORCID. Publi um, publishers are requiring that as you, as you submit an article, you provide an, an, an ORCID ID, but some may not have, or others, they don't know where to put it. So we agree that we are going to support them. We are also considering an ORCID consortium for Kenya, and I'm happy to learn about what Tembo has, has shared. Then something else which was a take-home message was the use of the QR codes as an ORCID, uh, as, a, as, as an identification, as in, as in ORCID, uh, for researcher cards. The way uh, business people, um, uh, they have business cards. From the director researchers uh, uh, forum, we agreed they are going to have uh, their researcher cards. And their researcher cards will only contain the QR code. So when you are sharing their researcher, uh, their researcher cards, they are somebody who just needs to, 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 to scan the QR code and then be able to get uh, what that person has done uh, in various the works, the affiliations, and what all, what all uh, uh, Tembo has taken us through. So those are the lessons learned and I wish to stop there. Thank you so much for listening to me. Thank you very much, Penina. That was very insightful as well. And next up is Owen. Hello. Hello. Who's next? next? Do you want to go next, Owen? Yes. Or Cecile, Thank you. that's also fine. <laughs> okay, Cecile. Yeah. Thank you. Let me share my screen, please. Can you see it? It's loading, but yes, we'll be able to see in, in a few seconds. Can you see my screen, please? Not yet, okay. but it's loading. Not yet. Okay. Is it? Is it now? No? Not yet. Let me start again. Yes, now we can see your screen. Is it okay now? Yes. Okay, thank you. 
Okay, thank you very much for giving us this opportunity to share our work. I, I want to start by thanking uh, uh, first uh, uh, Orchid, which give us, who give us uh, this opportunity by giving us a grant. Forgive my mistake, I'm, I'm doing my best to speak English, please. Our project was for creating and implementing an OSEED consortium in Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah. Before, can I have the next, the next? Yeah. Sorry, I can't have the, the next. Uh, yeah, okay. My presentation will be based on some key points. What was the situation of scholarly communication access in Cote d'Ivoire and open science activities because this project is included in our, uh, our activities for open science and ORCID project achievement, how it was done and outlooks. Thank you. You can, uh, in, in the, the scholarly communication, uh, Access uh, was very difficult. Uh, it was has always been difficult in Cote d'Ivoire, and towards the political crisis, we lost a lot of collections. And uh, in 2012, uh, the government was fully engaged in implementing the higher education reform. It was a bachelor, master, and PhD, and it was very important to give visibility and accessibility to collection. So for communication, for scholarly communication. And before, during, and after this political crisis and beyond the COVID-19 uh, COVID uh, pandemic, knowledge sharing was uh, and is still a key challenge for to support training and research activities in Cote d'Ivoire. So one project uh, uh, was, uh, very important and crucial for us. Uh, it was the project of the Digital Library for Higher Education and Scientific Research in Cote d'Ivoire, created uh, in uh, 2016. It was a national repository. Why this national repository? To contribute to enhance sustainable access to scholarly communication. The Digital Library facilitated understanding of open science with some key initiative, projects and activities. I'm going to show you some of them. The first one was the digital library, as uh, I said before, uh, as a collaborative tool for, yeah, and it was uh, an opportunity for the consortium of uh, uh, the library consortium for higher education in Cote d'Ivoire to, to, uh, to, to enlarge networking and strengthening uh, and development skills. You can see the authorities, uh, the ministry uh, uh, at this time uh, uh, launching the 
the, the, the digital library. And you can see the community of uh, librarians uh, uh, in picture, in the, the picture. One of the key activity we developed to, 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 to raise awareness and sensitize uh, people is the Open Access Week in Cote d'Ivoire. It started since uh, 2018, and uh, it was it aims to develop to, de to develop partnership, collaboration, and also to to uh, networking and uh, capacity buildings. You can see some pictures of some activity activities. Uh, you can see the authorities given uh, uh, given uh, the the digitalized uh, uh, thesis and dissertation to our director general or UVCI director general. UVCI is the university who is coordinating the digital library in, uh, as a national repository in Cote d'Ivoire. And you can see toward these activities to give visibility, traceability and, visit, uh, and accessibility to scholarly publishing, we started uh, working on a project of uh, a, a persistent identifier by a identity federation project. This identity federation project was very important for us to, 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 to develop access with end users, community practice, uh, communities of practice, also in uh, such as researchers, librarians, and so on. And you can see that toward this uh, project, we, we, we were able to, to make networking with uh, and develop partnership with WACREN and uh, with stakeholders in Cote d'Ivoire, such as the NRN in Cote d'Ivoire and universities and so on. So we also, uh, have an, an institutional policy for open science uh, signed in, two, in April 2022. And uh, we are working now to develop uh, a national policy for open science. And you can see that we organize also a national symposium on open science with stakeholders and decision makers and so on. We need now to go far by sensitizing uh, researchers also. The grants, uh, 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 JPF grant is, was welcome. Uh, why? We need to have persistent identifiers to promote and enhance the visibility and accessibility of researchers, data and, res and research results. It was very crucial for us in Cote d'Ivoire. And for Lipsense community, it, uh, OSID, OSID persistent identifier is uh, assigned to each researcher, which facilitates uh, access to publication and research data, improves the discoverability of scientific content, particularly African. African, and I can add, Francophone because we are not so visible like English, like uh, the other English countries. For for UVCI, the project also aims to 
contribute to face the challenge of visibility, accessibility, traceability, and research assessment. The OSIT consortium aims to establish a community of practice at the national level to share knowledge to help to accelerate the integration of OSIT into organizational systems. And you can see how it was done. For us, the first element was to have some, to, to make sensitization and to share information in our institution and in the consortium uh, and to share also and sensitize the librarians and the uh, directors of higher uh, uh, education librarians on the interest of this project we are starting. So we organize a lot of meetings. We organize work on online meeting webinars to sensitize first the consortium members and the library consortium members and also the staff, the researchers in our institution. So in uh, the first workshop, the, 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 the workshop was to form the, the, the team of the project and also to share, uh, to, to, form, to, to form them, to give them, a, a, to develop their skills. And so after this, we were able by uh, by sharing information with uh, the team members to adapt our uh, our first uh, work our second workshop which was uh, a training for trainers we trained 40 people researchers directors of libraries and else uh, and also decision makers and for us when we understood that uh, it was very important to expand OSID, uh, OSID use and OSID, uh, OSID skills in Cote d'Ivoire. We, we, our training was based on four modules. The first one was to explain what is persistent identifier OSID issues and interest policy and strategies. The second module was based on OSIT consortium, how we can def define it, objective and mission. And the third one was the practical exercise to create and, uh, and enrich and uh, for creating and enriching the interface with publication and research references. Why? Because we discovered that uh, uh, researchers, are all, all of them, the majority of them, have a, an OSIT account, but they didn't use it. They didn't use it to give themselves visibility. And the, the, the module four was to, to plan how we can create the, 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 the uh, we can create the consortium, the national consortium, and how we can have our roadmap. So we, we, we work uh, in this workshop of three days, we work on uh, on uh, uh, on towards uh, uh, four working groups: awareness and advocacy, strategy, policies, capacity building, organization and funding, and roadmap for.
for creating and implementing the OSID National Consortium in Cote d'Ivoire. You can see some of the participants in this picture uh, around the Director General of the University, the Virtual University in Cote d'Ivoire, who is coordinating all the uh, open science activities and also uh, with LibSense and Wakren and also the OSID project. So, adverse or challenge uh, and outlook. For adverse, the library consortium should be engaged in projects of persistent identifiers, OSIT, for visibility of researchers and data sites for attribution of DOE to enhance the repositories use, accessibility and visibility and research institution. We, 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 we link this in all our global activities for open science and the next project we, are, we will be implementing is GOEIs. We also, uh, the second point is creating and implementing OSIT consortium is a great platform for library consortium members to strengthen librarian skills first and enhance collaboration with researchers communities. Sometimes there is a gap between librarians and researchers. With this project and the first activities we achieve, we saw that researchers as able to see the, one of the importance of librarians in their institutions. We also, uh, the prayer also aims to uh, advocate for open access and open science policies to strengthen also research assessment capacities in academic and research administration. It is, it is easy when all our researchers will have an OSID and you, uh, uh, account and using this OSID account to make the, the outputs visible and to make the activities also very vi visible online. The outlook, the first outlook for us is to continue our sensitization and advocacy uh, activities from September to December. We, we are continuing advocacy. Yeah, in uh, now the, train, the trainers we have in each institution is uh, also making sensitization and advocacy. Second one is launch the hybrid court training. It will be, uh, we, we were planning it in October, but our open access week will be in November. And uh, we will launch the court training. What will be the, what this mean? The core training is for each institution, we will organize uh, a training on all seats, like uh, in the same uh, way we organize for trainers of trainer, but it will be hybrid online and uh, and physically. Uh, and uh, the third the third action will be to launch the consortium all seats in uh, all seats in two thousand for twenty four. After that, after this, uh, uh, the, we, 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 you can see that uh, the, the project uh, 
will be implement, uh, implementation is continue uh, is uh, a continuity for 2000 uh, two, in 2024 and uh, for us we have a great opportunity also to continue to to this project toward one of the projects for open uh, open science, which will start in November also, October and November for uh, open science uh, based on renewable energies and uh, climate change. And uh, our institution agree to give the first support, support by sharing its infrastructure, support uh, to, to support to for the membership fees payment in order to push to the other institution to engage themselves for, for to, to make our consortium acid consortium in Cote d'Ivoire very dynamic and we hope that uh, everything is going well for us and uh, we are continuing our advocacy yeah Thank you very much. Uh, that is all for Cote d'Ivoire achievement on open uh, on us the OSIT project with the grant we got by the JPF fund. Okay, thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. Merci. Thank you so much for sharing all this insight from Cote d'Ivoire. And um, now we have on your to share from EcoConnect how your activities are going on in Nigeria. For the implementation of the Orchid Grant. Welcome on. Okay. So if you stop sharing, I'll try and share my screen. And uh, can you uh, confirm that you can see see my screen? Looks good. Okay. All right. Um, so um, I'd like to thank uh, Joe and the team um, for um, basically putting this webinar together and all the work they're doing with these series of webinars uh, that are very enlightening to, to us on different aspects of, uh, of utilization of infrastructure to promote scholarly uh, communications. And uh, of course, I'd like to uh, thank uh, ORCID as well. Uh, EcoConnect is um, an NREN in Nigeria, and we're also one of the beneficiaries of the Global Participation Fund from, uh, from ORCID. Um, now, I work for uh, EcoConnect, and um, unlike the two previous speakers, I'm not really an academic. I'm more of a service provider for NREN's National Research and Education um, Networks. So the remit of NREN is to be able to provide infrastructure that uh, facilitates and promotes better research and education practice. And uh, in recent years, there's been a drive for the promotion of open science and open access and to increase the visibility of scholarly and research outputs in, in, in Africa, because there's a perception that uh, research outputs and scholarly outputs from the continent are very low. Uh, but uh, a lot of that is down to the fact that there is a lot of research that is being done and being produced 
but um, they're not visible in the global ecosystem because of uh, low adoption of the various uh, infrastructure and uh, technologies like persistent identifiers that bring that visibility to uh, the global community. Um, and of course, even from an individual basis for researchers themselves to be visible as well, they need to also adopt these identifiers. And uh, ORCID is one of the key persistent identifiers that not only promotes the, the visibility uh, of researchers, um, as uh, uh, Lombe said in her presentation at the beginning, it also uh, caters for disambiguation. So researchers, you know who the researcher actually is. And if researchers have mobility, that they're moving from one institution or organization to another, their ORCID record and their works will follow them wherever they are. So it's very key that for researchers, they actually have um, an ORCID ID. And of course, uh, from the presentation we've already heard, there are tight integrations between ORCID's infrastructure with other uh, infrastructure and persistent identifiers. So the more that we adopt ORCIDs, the more visibility for institutions, for researchers, for works uh, in the uh, global research and education space. So um, as I said, EcoConnect, we're um, um, NREN um, provider. Uh, typically, NRENs deal with matters of connectivity and campus networks. But beyond that, uh, EcoConnect tries to focus on providing what we call above the network services. Um, and so obviously, beyond the core networking infrastructure and bandwidth, we try to look at providing services that bring more value in terms of ability to collaborate and improve uh, education practice. So we're the uh, operator, national operator for Eduroam. Um, that Eduroam uh, ensures Wi-Fi roaming, allows you know uh, researcher and student mobility. And we're the operators of uh, what we call the Nigerian Identity Federation or eduid.ng. Now Cecile sort of alluded to uh, federated identity in her presentation. And uh, federated identity or academic identity is known generically as EduID. So this is a uh, infrastructure and an identity that actually allows students to be able, students and researchers and people in the academic community to be able to access uh, platforms and services from service providers in a trusted and secure, secure manner. And that infrastructure can also envelope other uh, identifiers and metadata like uh, ORCIDs as well. So when we're promoting the uptake of EduID, we can also in tandem promote the adoption of, uh, of ORCIDs. So that's very important to, to us in EcoConnect. Um, I also act as the co-chair of one of the working groups in LibSense. Uh, I think you've heard LibSense a number of times in uh, in uh, the earlier presentations. So L L LibSense is kind of a, a community of 
practitioners who are librarians and researchers and NREN service providers like myself, we come together in this forum to see how we can collaborate and ensure that as NRENs, we can deliver the necessary infrastructure that researchers and uh, librarians require to build or improve their own research and education practice. In Nigeria, we kind of have a community-governed open science cloud that we support. Um, and on, on in this cloud, we have some, some platforms and infrastructure the, that can be used, repositories, shared repository services, hosting services for repositories, um, uh, edgeroom and academic identity infrastructure that uh, higher education institutions in Nigeria can um, actually adopt uh, as part of their infrastructure and practice. And uh, of course, um, we've become a paid infrastructure provider for Nigeria. And um, in fact, from the 1st of November, uh, Echo Connect will be officially be the lead lead organization for the data sites uh, DOI consortium in, in Nigeria. So we're, we're very excited about, about that. Right. Um, as I said, we at CoConnect, we are beneficiary of the uh, ORCID Global Participation Fund. And uh, the goals, uh, the general goals of ORCID adoption in Nigeria, which are in line with what we've told ORCID we, we have as our goals, is to really you know, increase the adoption of ORCID in, uh, in our higher education institutions in Nigeria. Um, Nigeria has nearly 200 universities and over 150 polytechnics. So there is a huge, huge number of higher education institutions and many other research institutions in the country. However, the adoption uh, of ORCIDs has been very low considering the size of, of the country. So uh, we see this as a huge opportunity um, the country is also quite large. So the challenges of actually uh, getting advocacy, working in campuses and uh, promoting uh, ORCID adoption is very challenging, but uh, we're actually been utilizing the, uh, the fund we've got to actually get to the campuses to try to develop these open science communities and thereby increase uh, ORCID adoption. So, so the goals have really been um, very similar to the ones that uh, Penina uh, and Cecile have talked about. Train key personnel within universities who can act as trained trainers in terms of how they can um, acquire and utilize uh, orchids among other um, among other pits, um, and also to talk to governments. And uh, the main education fund in Nigeria, which is called TED Fund, they're the uh, kind of funding agency for higher education in Nigeria. And it's also to kind of uh, have meetings that educate uh, the government um, and some of the bodies like uh, NUC, which is the umbrella body for universities. And there are other umbrella bodies for polytechnics and colleges of education. 
So we want to try to educate these organizations about the importance and utilization of, uh, of PIDs and ORCIDs and how that should actually be embedded in uh, national policy for the promotion of uh, open science and open access. Now, unlike some of the, the presentations I've heard, like in Kenya, that there does seem to be um, a national policy for the implementation of uh, ORCIDs and maybe some other PIDs and uh, open science policies. In Nigeria, we do not currently have any national overarching open science policy to do this. Um, so what we've been doing is really trying to do the advocacy for open science and open access at different uh, levels within uh, the cadre of uh, research and education community to try to promote uh, PID adoption in, in general and ORCID adoption in particular as part of promoting open access and open science practice. So one of the ultimate goals as well uh, is to actually have a, an ORCID consortium. So that will actually help us to promote and enhance our communities as well. So some of our expected outputs uh, as a result of the, the fund is to have institutional support uh, for ORCID in at least six universities. Oh, and I think you accidentally muted. We can't hear you. Hello, can you hear me now? Yes, you're back. Okay, my apologies. When did we... right? So, uh, some of our expected outputs is to um, to have institutional support for Orchid in at least six universities by the end of Q one next year. I think we will definitely over achieve on that target, um, and at the same time as well, we're targeting the end of uh, quarter one of twenty twenty four to. Uh, established um, an ORCID consortium comprising of uh, uh, a the Fund National Funding Agency for Higher Education, that's TED Fund, ourselves as uh, Echo Connect and other uh, institutions by the end of uh, quarter one of 2024. Uh, I'm not so sure if we're going to meet that deadline at the moment, but that's the intended uh, output. And the other thing is we want to align ORCID, uh, there's complementarity between ORCID and EDUID adoption in the research and education community. As I said uh, earlier, EDUID is very important for accessing a plethora of services, but that infrastructure has the ability to envelope other uh, PIDs, such as ORCIDs, within that infrastructure as well. So we're ha having a kind of multiple pronged approach to the adoption of ORCIDs, whereby we're asking institutions that if you're adopting EDUID infrastructure, then you, you may as well imbibe ORCID into that as well, because uh, EDUID can actually house an ORCID ID. Um, and then basically try to make PIDs or persistent identifiers, key open science infrastructure beyond 
the uh, grant period as uh, dictated by by Orchid. So these are kind of our expected out, uh, outputs. Um, our activities, um, I'm going to sort of talk through some of the activities. Um, our project schedule uh, for the year was kind of, um, we're kind of behind schedule. Um, this is primarily because earlier in the year, Nigeria had uh, uh, elections and um, during the elections, uh, all, all higher education institutions were asked to, to close down. So all universities and polytechnics and research institutes were closed for about four, four or five weeks from February to March. And so that has actually in, impacted on the academic calendars of those institutions. And then uh, for us to also be able to schedule activities as well uh, was also affected. So we're kind of sort of two months behind our intended uh, schedules, which is why uh, while the project fund itself is scheduled to, to end, by December of this year, we're seeing our activity still spilling over into uh, February, March in order to, to catch up. Anyway, we have uh, started to engage in uh, some of our uh, key activities in the second quarter, towards the end of the second quarter of the year. Um, and uh, we had a PID workshop with uh, Olu. Um, Olu is actually the library consortium for of um, Nigerian University Librarians. So ONU stands for Association of University Librarians of Nigerian Universities. And uh, in that workshop, we, we actually spoke to the, the librarians. These are the head librarians of all the, the universities. We met them in Abuja and had a workshop talking about Pits more from a, an overview or strategic perspective. And we actually got to learn that many of our librarians are their knowledge of PITS and ORCHIDs is relatively low. Um, and so there was an agreement that we would hold another workshop with all the librarians in um in November to do a very much hands-on. Uh, kind of orchid clinic uh, uh, to actually get these librarians kind of familiar with orchids. Uh, they, they tended to think it was something very difficult to, to acquire. Uh, many of them didn't understand that actually registering for an orchid ID, ID is a fairly relatively simple process. But uh, what we wanted to make sure we could do is get the librarians themselves confident about how they can acquire these ORCID IDs and put in all their various career and academic information into their ORCID record so that they could also in turn actually advo advocate for, for their librarians and researchers in their institutions to do likewise. So um, I would look at that May, May meeting as being a sensitization uh, workshop, and then we're actually subsequently having another workshop in November with all the head librarians of Nigerian universities. 
um, a few, just about less than a month ago, we actually had a meeting as well with the Association of Vice Chancellors of Nigerian Universities. So we were able to get uh, about 25 vice chancellors attended this meeting. And we tried to explain to these vice chancellors the, the business case for the promotion of open science, open access, and uh, paid adoption. And what we, what we were able to uh, explain to the vice chancellors was that open science practice, even though, yes, it is open and uh, open sometimes it first free, but open science practice does come at some, some price. And that vice chancellors need to be able to have budgets put aside for the promotion of uh, open science and open access adoption in their universities. It was a very engaging discussion. And uh, out of this meeting, uh, we actually have a, a communicate where these 25 vice chancellors have agreed that they would sort of uh, come together as a kind of uh, early adopter, so to speak, of uh, the recommendations for uh, paid adoption and uh, open science practice. And we have a communique and an agreement where these 25 institutions have in principle agreed that they will look for budgets to promote the adoption of PIDs, uh, encourage the adoption of ORCIDs in their institutions, and also become members of any necessary consortia that are required to promote the adoption of open science. So in principle, these institutions from these 25 universities are agreeing to commit to DOI consortium, uh, ORCID consortium, and uh, something we refer to as a S-plan consortium, all in the goal of prom promoting open science and open access. So these were the outcomes. This was, uh, we, we have a communique that was uh, put out to this effect and um, an expression of agreements, uh, an expression of interest agreement was signed by all of these vice chancellors to that effect. So we're hoping in this last quarter, we're going to follow up with, with that. We've got a kind of little roadmap, uh, six month roadmap of what we want these vice chancellors to do between now and uh, the end of March uh, to fulfill fulfill this, so we're quite excited about that. Um, in September as well, there was a LibSense Open Science Symposium uh, in Abuja, Nigeria. Uh, as I said earlier, I'm part of, the, of LibSense. In fact, everybody here really is actually part of LibSense, if you, uh, if, if you, even if you realize it or not. So there was a two-day uh, symposium, and uh, there were a few sessions that talked about uh, about uh, PIDs, including uh, DOIs, ARCs, and uh, ORCID. Now, this month, uh, in fact, next week, we are in Benin, uh, University of Benin. Uh, we're going to be running um, an ORCID workshop for postgraduates, uh, post postdoctorates, uh, librarians, and some other key academic uh, persons. 
Um, I'm not quite sure of, of the exact numbers at the moment, but uh, we're looking at about 60 participants uh, being involved in that workshop next week. And the following week, we're uh, running a similar workshop in another university uh, in the southern part of, of Nigeria. Um, and we're trying to plan a date to run a paid workshop for uh, our funding agency and other government regulatory organizations. We're just trying to get the date fixed uh, for November. And uh, I think by next week, we'll know the exact dates. Um, and of course, another key activity we're looking at is uh, our uh, users conference. Eco Connect has a users conference every year in the third week, uh, usually in the third week of January. Uh, for the last few years, these meetings have been virtual because of uh, COVID, but uh, the next users conference is going to be our first uh, physical conference since uh, since COVID, and uh, part of uh, part of that conference, apart from having uh, an orchid session in the conference, we want to run uh, what we're calling an orchid clinic throughout the conference where people can just come to a desk and uh, inquire about uh, orchids and how to actually get one. And there'll be somebody there who will just take anyone who's interested through the process of acquiring um, an orchid ID. Um, so this is just a map of Nigeria, um, just to give you uh, a kind of indication of what we, we, we we're, we're doing. So, like I said, we're having the uh, orchid orchid workshops uh, starting this month in two universities, University of Benin and uh, the Federal University of Technology Oweri, uh, and these are in the southern part of the country. Um, normally, in order to be able to get to the northern part of the country, it's a flight of about ninety minutes. So that shows you how big and vast the, the country is. But between November and December, we're hoping to be able to uh, run our other ORCID uh, workshops in some of these uh, designated universities before uh, before the holiday season begins in um, in December. Um, so the lessons learned so far, well, we're still we're still learning as we we kind of uh, go along. But um, what we, we, we are realizing, at least from a Nigerian perspective, is that we need to structure our dissemination in a hierarchical manner, because we found that even when we engage directly with librarians uh, about adoption of uh, orchids, they, might, they may be enthusiastic about it, but they always seem to refer to the fact that in order to have wider adoption, um, policy implementation, we need to get the buy-in of uh, management or vice chancellors. So we always heard that uh, that needs to happen. So we've actually looked at, okay, apart from actually meeting the practitioners themselves, the librarians, the researchers, the lecturers, we need to actually do advocacy and education of management so that they understand the importance and the business of uh, uh, of orchids, how it can enhance 
enhance the uh, institution's reputation and visibility and opportunities. You know, so uh, like I said, when we had the engagement with the vice chancellors, we came at that slant, and they would. They, it was very enlightening for for them that they could see uh, that oh, in terms of getting visibility for their institutions, the ability to adopt and utilize these persistent identifiers, have their researchers and academics use ORCID IDs, is actually improves the visibility and potential opportunity that these vice chancellors are are, are seeking. So we've learned that we need to really hit uh, the vice chancellors and the policy makers at the government level um, to, to have the impact that we're, we're kind of uh, looking for. So we're, we're kind of seeing that hierarchy as vice chancellors, then the librarians, early career researchers, academic staff and students. So we see that hierarchy of uh, the higher up that hierarchy we can get to, the greater the, the impact. Um, we've also, we also have learned as well that at least for Nigerian librarians, um, many of them are still, you know, how do I say this without become sounding too, uh, you know, sounding not offensive. Uh, many of our librarians in Nigeria are still kind of doing outdated library practice and they, they've not fully realized that with digital transformation, the, the roles of librarians have changed to become custodians of inf information or custodians of their institution's assets. And if they start to understand how their roles have evolved, then they would have a greater appreciation for the need to use uh, ORCID IDs among, uh, among their staff and among the, the uh the community on, on the, in their universities. Um, and, and again, better articulation of uh, fair compliance and the benefit of ORCID for career researchers is something we realize is a lesson we need to do, uh, an advocacy we need to put across to uh, many of our researchers, particularly now our career early career researchers who are becoming postdoctorates, postgraduates, who need to understand that to engage in the global uh, research and education ecosystem and open science, they should be adopting these uh, ORCID IDs and ensuring that the, the infrastructure they utilize is using appropriate paid infrastructure. And then one key lesson we've also learned is that it would appear that physical training workshops still seem to be more effective than online workshops. Echo Connect, obviously, with the ability to use platforms like Zoom, it's a very powerful tool because of the reach we can get. But we're still finding that with when we do physical workshops, the engagement seems to be a whole lot more and a whole lot more impactful than um, uh, online. So that's been an interesting lesson that we've uh, we've learned, and we're still learning as we come into the final phases of the project fund for Orchid. But obviously, we want to continue to promote uh, Orchid and uh, kids in general um, beyond uh, the the lifetime of uh, the project. So I think that's really just a brief from uh, the Nigerian perspective. Thank you.
Thank you very much, Owen. It was fantastic and very um, informative also. Um, a lot of information shared um, by all of you. Um, I would like to take the opportunity now that we are all still in the room together um, it, to ask if there's questions that you might have. Feel free to unmute and just ask along um, for any of us here. And we did have some conversation in the chat about, um, because some of us are already convinced that ORCID is a great feature and service to utilize for the reasons mentioned to make information sharing about the scholarly achievements um, seamless between the various stakeholders, like Solomba um, explained in great detail to us. And now um, for those who are sitting on positions like librarians and research managers, how can we ensure that there's capacity financially and time-wise to share that information with, with, the, with the users who are or the target audience to actually use um, ORCID and to implement it in, or to implement it institutionally? This is also what all of us work for, work towards to have an institutional subscription with ORCID. There's some um, financials involved in that. So that's another um, uh yeah opportunity to or well or challenge actually for some institutions but the consortium approach that we're targeting here um through this program is meant to and again was pointed out by Lomba is meant to reduce the 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 cost in providing the service um for institutions to 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 make use of but for individuals just to make that clear for individual researchers and scholars um, that produce scholarly content, ORCID is, is a free service and um, and it has a lot of benefits um, that that um, yeah that can cut across various other scholarly services that um, are also useful for the purpose of um, research dissemination and discoverability of in particular African research. Um, as we will learn more of and have already heard of in this webinar series. So, um, okay, but to answer that question, or the question was answered in the chat, you also find links to the, again, to the Global Participation Program by ORCID and the fund and application site. So if you are working at an institution, um, uh, reach out to your colleagues and the people in charge to apply for that fund, like we did at the time for the first um, grant cycle. Um, and yeah, Lombe, please, do you want to add anything? Um, well, nothing really. I think I think you covered it really well. And um, also, in case people have any more questions on how exactly to apply, there's a webinar tomorrow, and Joe shared one of the links. So, uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to add. Thank you. Thank you. And for for um, Owen, Cecilia, and Benina. Um, what would you see? We've we've heard from each of you. We've heard different um, particular challenges, but also suggestions and advice on how to go about. There's various um, aspects to consider and people and positions to consider when it comes to incentivize the adoption of ORCID to the individual researchers, um, and also to to engage discussions at an institutional level. Um, if you if you summarize that from your presentation, if you if you would have to point out one um, 
one strategy and one approach that worked really well so far in one particular use case that comes to mind. Um, could you share that again with us? Just to um, get some, some traction, Owen. Well, um, I don't know if it's a use case per, per, per se, but um, in many Nigerian universities, and I'd say many, but um, I, I know there's some Nigerians in, in the audience, so they, they may have comments. But in a lot of uh, universities, for researchers, in terms of their careers, it is a publish or perish kind of mantra that in order for them to, to gain promotion and advance their careers, they need to ensure that they are publishing papers in uh, high impact journals or, you know, or platforms. Um, and that basically is part of the criteria on which they, they are assessed for promotions. And they're really being left totally to their own devices to be able to do that. So they, they, they get very little uh, institutional support to do that, but they are expected to be able to find a way of doing that. And um, in the engagements we're having now with management and vice chancellors, we're trying to, they're, try, they're actually now starting to appreciate that that mantra needs to change and that um, they need to be a whole lot more supportive of their, of, their, uh, of their researchers and librarians and that they should actually be helping uh, financially or in, uh, and encouraging them so that th their own objectives of higher visibility of their scholarly outputs and research outputs and the institution is rises. So it was quite uh, strange that um, many people didn't fully understand that, but the message is now starting to get across that this needs to be the way to go forward and more embracing of uh, open access and, mm -hmm. and open science. Yeah, I think that's an important point you're raising because the misconception about the importance of the um, of the uh, journal impact factor is is cross-cutting around the world, unfortunately, and um, very persistent in itself, not as an identifier, but as a measure for quality or reach. And it's actually not true. So I think what we can also help to show, and um, Mark Gallinghouse is here with us from The Lens. We have a session with them in early December um, to, to provide proof of that you can actually get the reach for the visibility of the research output through um, open, um, open science scholarly infrastructure and through tools and services that make use of persistent identifiers like ORCID, like DOIs, like, um, and, uh, and ROAR also, the Research Organization Registry, which we'll come to hear about from. Uh, Penina, what, what would you like to add to this? And what's the experience from Kenya? Uh, the experience from Kenya and what has come out from uh, the discussions we have had, uh, one strategy which is mainly used is what uh, participants were telling as carrot and stick strategy. Mm -hmm whereby on one hand that uh, the researchers are being shown the importance of uh, use of uh, PIDs uh, so that they can enhance their own visibility and discoverability. 
But on the other part of the management, they are bringing in the issue of a stick that for promotion, for any support to be, for you to, for any researcher to get a support from the university, they need to have these PIDs. So it comes like it's um, on one side, they are being pushed, but on the other side, they are being shown the benefits of uh, adoption of uh, ORCID. So that is one strategy which is working in Kenya, which was shared by various institutions that uh, they have adopted. Yeah, thank you. And I think also adoption of individuals um, is, is relatively high compared to other countries because there's been a top-down incentivization um, at, the, at the organization or institutional level. Thank you so much. And Cecile. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Uh... Uh, for us in Cote d'Ivoire, we are uh, we launch uh, our roadmap, and we are working now to expand the uh, orchid uh, use uh, in each of the public universities. And we think that uh, challenge for us is how we can we can uh, achieve uh, the engagement of uh, each uh, decision maker. And I think that uh, with the training of trainers we, we, we made uh, in July, uh, we have uh, now focal points and we need to, to, go, uh, to go through, uh, to, to work with this, with this focal point during our core trainings in order to continue advocacy. Like I said, advocacy is very important for us. I, uh, when, when we met uh, some uh, researchers, and we show them uh, individually the, the interest to, 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 to know how to use uh, the orchid. So uh, a majority of them have uh, an orchid. And uh, sometimes they think that they, they don't need this workshop. And when we continue explaining how an orchid can change uh, the visibility and enhance the credibility of the research, they are able now to understand and uh, go for through the ORCID account to add the publication and uh, fill the, the other part of the ORCID account. We think that we need to go ahead. We mm -hmm. need to go ahead and librarians need to be more engaged. It is uh, first for me, a, 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 a work for librarians. Uh, if researchers also, can be engaged if they want to train the others because during our trainers workshop, we 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 give them opportunity to go to train the, the communities. And now with cohort, we will see we will be able to to see the results on uh, the, the result of this uh, individual training and uh, community training. We think that uh, it is very important for us to continue with project. And in 2024, we will be implementing our consortium really. All the activities we are leading now is to prepare to launch this consortium in 2024. And for, for us, it is okay. We are running to this consortium and become member of OSEED in 2024. Thank you. I don't know. There is a lot of challenge, but we trust in our capacity to, to make sensitization and workshop to come up with these challenges. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for sharing all of that. So I think as the academic landscape is changing in the middle of a transition um, um, towards openness, towards transparency, towards open scholarly um, infrastructure, um, and and we it's it's a mix currently, and it's also okay, and it's gonna stay a mix, I think, also from um, private entities providing certain services and and nonprofits and for profits, each have their role to play, and we hear from from representative from either um, either what's the word um, section or society levels. Um, but it can be really confusing. So what I think we can also achieve and are already um, underway in achieving with with these programs is to provide or to develop um, educational materials like each of us are doing to compare and then break the rather complex information down so it's easier to to digest for for our audiences and to many academic representatives and stakeholders as possible by yeah joining activity or joint activities like this ones by sharing best practices and approaches and continuously working and and re revising the, the educational materials um so from the webinar series also that we are presenting here um we will um, share the recordings, as was mentioned in the chat. We'll also extract the key information from each presentation um, into a blog post and uh, and link to, to the various services and, and accomplishments by our speakers and the respective institutions they represent. Is there anyone in the audience who would like to share your exp experience and um, adoption and um, any question you might have from from how uh, how persistent identifiers are being adopted in in your country in your institution, or if you have any last question you might want to get across while we're here, feel free to speak up now. <laughs> Otherwise, you can of course reach any of us through the by email through LinkedIn. You'll, we've shared the ORCID profiles where you can also get in touch through the um, um, the contact details that were mentioned by any of us. Um, we're all in, in public positions and some sort, so you can find um, contact details for all of the speakers and of course reach out to us at info at .org, um, to get access to any of our speakers. Ibuka, I'm handing over to you for the final statements. And thank you also from my end for, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Joe. <clears throat> um, I want to thank um, everyone for making it to this webinar session today. It's indeed a delight that um, you made yourselves available for this wonderful session. And also I want to thank our great speakers for speaking and giving us some useful information for this session. All right, like Joe said, the recording for this session will be made available on our website at africachive.org. And also you can get the full details and register for this ongoing webinar series on africachive.org forward slash webinars. So the links will be made available in the chat. Thank you all for coming. And Joe, any other last words? Uh, any of our speakers, do you want to have some last comments? Mm -hmm. See?
uh, Oren, Benina. Thank you so Nothing much. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye, thank you for joining.